Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelts. Today is March 12th, 2023. It has been 3,300 days since Russia occupied the Crimea Peninsula on January 27th, 2014. It has been one year and 17 days since Russia expanded its war against Ukraine. Today also marks the one-year anniversary of our first situation report. Today I will be discussing three topics, Bakhmut, Avdivka, and is Russia really running out of ammunition? We start off today's podcast talking about Bakhmut, and the most important thing to start with is Bakhmut holds. Two weeks ago, we went against the conventional wisdom of the herd. We also went against the reports that we had received from our two reporters who are in Ukraine. Instead of assessing that Ukraine was in the process of starting a full withdrawal from Bakhmut, we assessed that they were going to withdraw to the west bank of the Batmukova River, and a week later, that aged very well. Why did we make that assessment? When we looked at the map and we did terrain analysis and based on the information that was publicly available and from the resources that we have within Ukraine, and I can't stress enough, we don't work with the Ukrainian government. We have no contacts in the Ukrainian government or the Ukrainian military. We do not deal in classified information. And even if we had access to classified information, we would not share that information. When we look at the battlefield, we see three trigger points where, in our assessment, it would be time for Ukraine to leave Bakhmut. Number one, Russian forces reach Kromove. Number two, Russian forces reach Ivanivska. Number three, Russian forces establish wet crossings over the Bakhmutkova River and reach the West Bank. None of those three trigger events have happened. Ukraine is still able to use the T-506 highway as a ground line of communication. That's G-Lock, supply line. They've built a temporary bridge over there last week. There's a video just out today. Ukraine is still using the T-504 highway where the MiG-17 statue used to be. On the other hand, over the last 48 hours, Russian forces led by PMC Wagner have advanced north of the Damba Reservoir in the southeast part of Bakhmut. They are starting to encroach on the west bank of the Batmukova River by the Damba Reservoir. So am I saying that things are going great in Bakhmut for Ukraine? No, things are terrible for Ukraine in Bakhmut. The casualty ratio is getting worse. Russian forces have been slowed over the last two weeks, but they are making incremental gains, even if Ukrainian forces have widened that almost technical encirclement just by a little bit. We're talking 500 or 1,000 meters. Are the reports true that a lot of Ukrainian Territorial Guard is being sent into Bakhmut that have only two weeks of training? Yeah, those stories are true, and a lot of those units are suffering very heavy casualties. 
Speaking personally for a moment, it's very frustrating for me when people comment sometimes, well, you're not there. We have reporters there. We have reporters that have been in Bakhmut. Now, there hasn't been reporters in Bakhmut from anybody in almost two weeks, but we have reporters in the area. They are talking to Ukrainian military units. We are hearing the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're using that information to feed into our assessments. We're not looking at this through rose-colored glasses. We are looking through this is a very sober assessment based on the body of facts that we have. Right now, at this moment, while I sit in the studio, should Ukraine withdraw from Bakhmut? The answer to that is no, but Russian forces are very close to hitting any of the three trigger points that I discussed earlier. There's another argument that people are making on why Ukraine should withdraw from Bakhmut that is hollow. And that argument is, Russia's only losing penal unit soldiers. They're losing the dregs of society, mercenaries and people that Russia doesn't want. And Ukraine is losing their best and their brightest, and they need to withdraw and live to fight another day. So they're going to withdraw to have to then fight the same penal units and what people view as the dregs of Russian society anyway somewhere else. So I really don't get that argument at all. Private military company Wagner Group's leader, Yevgei Prigozhin, has complained about losing his most skilled mercenaries. The most experienced Wagnerites were killed off six to nine months ago, forcing Wagner to recruit convicts. Russia has been forced to introduce their airborne units, their more experienced VDV forces, representing their best. Yes, there are PMC Wagner penal units, and some of those units are fighting the Ukrainian Territorial Guard, who received two weeks of training at best before being sent to the line of conflict into a mutual meat grinder. Our assessment remains unchanged. Russia is committed to capturing Bakhmut at all costs, short of Seaburn, and Ukraine will defend up until the point the military leadership has determined its defense no longer serves a strategic purpose. It is impossible to predict when Russia would capture Bakhmut, and we're almost two weeks past many predictions the city would have fallen by now. Every major retreat in Ukraine, Russian or Ukrainian, has happened quickly, during darkness, and with minimal losses. There is no reason to believe that Bakhmut eventually won't be the same. The one outlier is Mariupol, but even with Russia holding a 40-kilometer deep defensive line on the city, Ukrainian forces were able to resupply that garrison and bring in replacement troops by air, sea, and land all the way up to the end of April. Next destination is Avdivka, also in Donetsk. Over the past year, we've talked a lot about the importance of Krasnohorovika. This is the one that is north of Evdivka, not the one that is closer to Marinka. There are two on the line of conflict. This is on top of a plateau, and from that plateau, Ukrainian forces have been able to maintain fire control over the approach routes to Evdivka. So this is a very strategic location. One Ukrainian source that people find pretty reliable, which is Deep State, has claimed that Russian forces have been able to climb up the eastern face of that plateau and established a foothold on the outskirts of that village. Now, a lot of people in the community are scratching their heads a little bit because nobody, including the Russian side, is making this claim. 
on our team, there's hesitancy to map that as fact because we follow journalistic standards. We don't generally accept single source information. And there's been no claims on the Russian side. There are no pictures. There are no videos. There is nothing we can geolocate. There's nothing on NASA firms. There's nothing on satellite images. There's nothing we can look at and go, yes, this is true, which isn't to say that it isn't, but we're processing just a single point of data. If this is true, this is a big problem for Ukraine. Losing Krasnohorivka is going to significantly complicate the defense of Evdivka. This is an area where we think because people are hyper fixated on Bakhmut that they're missing some developments that are happening in the Evdivka operational area. Heading south to the Marinka operational area, Marinka no longer exists. The videos and the pictures there look like Hiroshima or Nagasaki at ground zero. There is nothing left to win here. There is nothing left to defend here. And yet Russian and Ukrainian forces are fighting for the ashes that were once Marinka. I'm going to move back to personal opinion because that's part of what we do on Sunday is assessment and opinion more than just straight facts. If Bakhmut in the eyes of the internet commentariat is a lost cause that Ukraine should be withdrawing from, why is Ukraine still defending a town that no longer exists? Why is nobody pointing at Marinka and going, Marinka is a lost cause. Ukraine is just wasting some of their best resources and ammunition here. It's just time to go. They're only fighting Dragomobics and DNR conscripts that have been pried off of the streets. The terrain west of Marinka favors Ukraine. I am not trying to build a case that Ukraine should withdraw from Marinka. If Bakhmut is hopeless, then Ukraine should have withdrawn from Marinka months ago. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. And our third and final segment for today... Is Russia running out of ammunition? The short answer to it is no, and the long answer to it is sort of. Last year, from late April to early July, Russia was firing 40 to 60,000 non-precision munitions a day around Severodonetsk and the Luhansk Oblast. When I say non-permission, that's artillery, mortar, grad smirch rockets, and tank rounds. That's over 1.8 million rounds per month just in Luhansk, which is about what Russia can produce in an entire year. We had previously assessed this was an unsustainable rate of consumption, and that has played out. By the end of summer 2022, the other problem that Russia started to have was the linings of their artillery pieces were wearing out. We were starting to see banana-peeled artillery pieces. That is, the barrel had literally blown itself apart. Tanks that were being used for indirect fire. So they're taking a main battle tank and essentially turning it into a short-range artillery piece. We're having their barrels worn out. In a T-72, T-80, T-90 tank, you can't replace the barrel in the field. The whole turret needs to come off. So those tanks have to go back to Russia to get serviced. People like MERS, mill blogger, are complaining that there are dozens of Russian tanks that are sit parked because there's no replacement barrels. There's nobody in Russia that can go ahead and change 
exchange the barrels, they're just parked. They were worn out because they were used as artillery pieces. Fast forward to August in Piscay. Before 2014, the pre-war population was around 2,000. The village is only 3.3 square kilometers, and about half of that is taken up by reservoirs. And Russian forces were firing 6,000 non-precision munitions a day into 3.3 square kilometers for almost two months. On a good day, Ukraine can fire about 6,000 non-precision artillery rounds through the entire theater of war. That's a really good day for Ukraine. Current estimates suggest that Russia is firing between 20 and 30,000 non-precision rounds, artillery, mortars, Grad and Smirch rockets, and tank rounds a day. That's from Chernihiv to Mykolaiv. By the way, that is still an unsustainable rate of fire. That is almost 10 million shells a year. Now that we have all of this background data, we get back to the question, is Russia suffering from an ammunition shortage? And the answer is, unless you're looking through the filter of Russia or North Korea or South Korea, the answer is no, they have plenty of artillery shells. The problem is Russian tactics. Russian offensive operations are heavily dependent on artillery. Now, all offensives start with setting conditions, and part of setting conditions is a large artillery barrage. However, by this time a year ago, it was very clear that Russia was not intent on liberation of Ukraine. It was intent on genocide within Ukraine. Russian offensive operations up until late January of this year were dependent upon artillery completely dismantling an area, destroying it to dust so that there was nothing left to defend. And we saw these tactics played out in particular around Severodonetsk and Lashansk in May, June, and early July, or in the case of Biscay, which they also bombed flat. Now Russia can only fire 20 to 30,000 non-precision munitions across the entire theater of war a day. This doesn't align with how Russia executes war. Now you've got field commanders that are putting in request to the Russian Ministry of Defense for the same amount of ammunition that they would have received in April, May, June, July, August, September, and they're only getting 20%, 30%, 40% of what they're requesting. And this is creating a lot of infighting across the units and accusations that some organizations like PMC Wagner are getting favoritism, while PMC Wagner is saying the Russian military is getting favoritism. In our assessment, this is less about Russia's running out of ammunition and more about the reality of modern warfare is starting to catch up with Russia and that the rate of consumption of their ammunition stockpiles was completely unsustainable. And certainly, the HIMARS strike starting in June, that culminated around late September when Russia finally figured out, you know, having huge piles of ammunition just scattered in an open field within range of HIMARS is a really big bad idea. So they moved those ammunition depots further back and they made them smaller. To use Bakhmut as an example, what we were told by our reporters on the ground is in late February when Prigozhin was really beating the drum on, we're not getting ammunition, our requests aren't getting fulfilled, there was a noticeable lull in the amount of artillery fire going on. That lull has disappeared. There is one particular type of munition that we are starting to believe that Russia is suffering a critical shortage of. That's anti-tank guided missiles, ATGM. We have shared many videos showing Ukrainian infantry fighting vehicles operating with near impunity within Bakhmut at very close range to Russian forces. 
If Russian troops had an adequate supply of ATGM and man-portable anti-tank weapons, we wouldn't be seeing this. This is the exact same situation in Kremina, Avdivka, Marinka, and Vuladar. Most of the Ukrainian armored vehicles that are getting knocked out of service currently is through artillery and kamikaze drones. We're just not seeing a lot of ATGM strikes. In conclusion, if Russian commanders are expecting to be able to return to the days of firing 40,000, 60,000 artillery shells in a relatively small area, say just on Bakhmut, those days are not going to return ever. They have to change how they fight war. Thank you so much for joining me today. Linnea will be returning on Monday to take over the microphone. If you enjoy independent journalism, if you enjoy our fact-based reporting and our analysis and opinion, you can always become a patron for just $5 a month. You can help us keep the lights on and continue providing our coverage on the Russia-Ukraine war. My name is David Obeltz. Once again, thank you for joining me today. And as I always like to say, there's so much terrible in the world. Please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.